Hello and welcome into another edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Live. I am Price Carter and joining me today is my co-host Christian Amesworth. Christian, did you have a great Thanksgiving? Oh, it was incredible. We got the turkey out. We did the whole Thanksgiving meal thing. I think we had four or five different desserts. So I'm fat and happy on this Thanksgiving Monday. What about you? You know, I, I absolutely, as I was getting older, was starting to get burnt out on the holidays. My, my family particularly doesn't do holidays great because we are a small family and mom's not a great cook. My dad doesn't really do tradition that well. He's very, um, very allergic to tradition and family stuff like that. So my family's kind of sucked for um, holidays for a long time, but the combination of my wife's family and then um, having a kid really just kind of changes everything. It really renews the holidays for you, which, you know, obviously do that whenever you're ready to, but I highly recommend having kids. It, it, it just changes everything. And my son's only, you know, 14 months old, just over a year, year, year old, but it's kind of like his first set of holidays since he was just one month old during Thanksgiving last year. It, it, it's a lot of fun. So just having him, having a little baby around the house, just kind of like reju- rejuvenates the whole family. So it, it was great. We, we ate well, we had the football on the whole time. Um, you know, the lions and the, the lions and bears game did not disappoint. It was a true uh, trash show. Uh, but actually the best game was the Cowboys Raiders. And I wasn't really expecting that. No, neither was I. And when you look back at that game and see like, I don't know, really just like the fallout of the Cowboys, like three consecutive losses, they don't really look like a contender anymore, do they? I mean, I feel like I'm coming out of, it might just be a little hot take. Well, I I think, I think you, they, they're too, no. So they, they have, they've lost three out of four, right? They lost to the Broncos and that shellacking. Then they beat up on the Falcons the next week. And that was the narrative. Oh, yes, the Chiefs game. Right. So they've lost that's three right. of four, but yeah, I mean, the point, the point still remains. Um, I, I actually heard someone make a comment today that the Cowboys losing to the Raiders somehow nullifies the chief success that they had last week against the Cowboys. And I, I remember telling my uncle who I was sitting and watching the game with, I was like, this is, this game's a dream as a chiefs fan. Cause no matter what happens, you can just sit there and say, Hey, we just like beat the piss out of both of those teams and back to back weeks. So yeah, you can sit there and say, the Cowboys may not be as good as we thought they were, but look at what the Raiders just did to them. And we, I mean, we put a clown suit on the Raiders as a team. So, um, you know, I think, I think there's optimism for both sides there as far as how it relates to the chiefs. I, I have to say, um, the the Raiders had had it in them, and I didn't think that they did, but they really stepped up and played that game, especially whenever you consider there were several times that that game, the momentum shifted back and forth. There were several times for the Raiders to hang their heads and say, oh, you know, we've had so much happen to us this season. Let's, you know, let's get to the beach. Let's get home. Let's get to our families. But they stuck in it. Yeah, which is really crazy. I mean, you you kind of talked about it a little bit there. All of the off the field issues that are going on with that team right now. I know we as a franchise kind of, you know, make fun of the Raiders as we should. I mean, they've done a lot of, this is going to sound like an oldie term, but tomfoolery over the years. I mean, I think there's a meme going around. You have to be a felon to be a Raiders fan, which is, you know, it's up for the bait I'll say, but we got to give them a little bit of credit. Like having going through the stuff that they went through this year, 
with their coach. I mean, we, we know all about that, the off the field issues with Henry Ruggs and their first round pick cornerback Arnett, I believe is his last name. Dude, to even want to be out there on Sunday has to be taxing. I mean, like that, that should be commended in and of itself and them playing well enough to beat the Cowboys even better. I mean, I hate the Cowboys. So, you know, beat up on them as much as you can, not as much as I hate the Raiders, but if one team's going to beat the Cowboys, why not the Raiders, right? Yeah. On a, on a side note, that game was borderline unwatchable from the standpoint of the freaking penalties in the game, the NFL in the officiating, I, I swear it is getting worse every season. And this has nothing to do with how it impacts chiefs games. They, it, it is, it is so hit and miss. Sometimes it's a crew that doesn't call anything. Sometimes it's a crew that calls everything. And then, and then it just seems like the crew gets talked to about something specifically. And then they just, they, they hammer at home the whole game. Like I, I firmly believe that this was true of the Super Bowl last year, that that crew went into that game discussing that the chiefs defensive secondary is too grabby and too physical. And they called holds and DPI on the Chiefs' secondary in times that it didn't even exist. There was that play where Breland tripped and just grazed Mike Evans' ankle as they were running, and the ball wasn't even close, and they still called it. There were several plays like that. And then that game, the Cowboys-Raiders game, it was just hold after hold after hold, DPI. It was was just unwatchable. And I understand that the, the game has to have integrity and all those type of things, but Man, the that, that the flow of that game just was never there. And in some ways, kind of going back to what we said about the Raiders, yes, they showed heart, but part of that was on the Cowboys never being able to put them away. You know, the NFL teams are full of professional players. We know that they are, you know, 1% of the 1% as far as athletes go. And even the worst NFL team would destroy the best college football team that you can think of. But you let a, an NFL team hang around and give them a chance, that competitive nature kicks in and they're going to want to win. The Cowboys come out there, they put, you know, they put the Raiders down 21 nothing or two possessions and crush their soul. They're not going to be around, but they let them hang around and, that, and that's what happened. And it was kind of a back and forth game. And going back to the penalties, that was part of what kept both those teams in the game. And, you know, this is really just kind of a theme about the whole NFL season this year. And I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it feels like more so than ever, there is so much parody in the NFL. And that's been that's been taught and taught and taught and how, you know, we need parody in the NFL and how it's a great league and all this. I'm not sure if it is, you know, Colin Cowherd has this opinion and I kind of agree that sports are better with dynasties. And, you know, obviously no one liked when the Patriots were just an automatic Super Bowl contender, but. I'm not sure if right now having, you know, like 12 teams above 500 in the AFC is a great thing. Yeah, no. And it makes it really hard on sports betters too. As an avid gambler, I think it's important that we have clear cut, uh, you know, people who we think are going to win. And you don't really see that anymore. And I think it kind of does relate back to what you were talking about earlier with these penalties. There's so much subjectivity in them we're seeing games more often this year than we have in any other season be decided by penalties. I mean, how many one score games have the Vikings been in where there'll be a late flag that stalls a drive and the other team, you know, pulls out a victory. 
Like there, there are just so many times where, where these games are being decided by penalties. And I think that's leading to some of the, um, the, I don't know what you'd call it. You just said it, but I can't. The think parody. Of the yeah. The parody. Yes. And, and leading to some of that. I, th- I think, you know, as we are on the bye week here and kind of just talking a little bit about some bigger stories in the NFL, I think one of the biggest stories in the league this year is that NFL defenses and, and college defenses as well are the pendulum is starting to swing the other way again. I would say pretty much, it, I'm not sure, maybe the 2015 Super Bowl where the Broncos won with defense. Since then, the pendulum has swung offense and just continually gone that way. Um, you know, the Falcons, the 28-3 season, even though, or the 28-3 game, the Falcons were one of the best offenses. Um, Kyle Shanahan's offense was really um, driving that, that offense to the Super Bowl. That was a shootout. And pretty much since then, offenses have been growing and growing. We saw more incorporation of mobile quarterbacks. We saw more incorporation of college schemes into offenses with the RPO um, and Offenses have really had the upper hand the last couple of years, including the playbook, but defenses are catching up and there are getting to be more and more better athletes on the defensive side of the ball. And college is always a good precursor for that. You know, for several years, especially like divisions like the Pac-12 or the Big 12, you know, you've got scores that are like 55, 56, you know, triple, quadruple overtimes and defenses are starting to catch up a little bit. You look at um, the game last night, even though the Browns, lost uh Mora, the linebacker for the Browns he's just one of those freak hybrid athletes and I think that the defense and, and um I'm g- willing to bet that the first round of the NFL draft is going to be heavy heavy defensive players this year defenses are catching up and I think that's a little bit of what we can relate back to um a little bit what we can relate back to some of the Chiefs offensive struggles and I don't think you can necessarily point to this draft, this defensive draft heavy class as being a result of the, the NFL turning into more of an offensive game. But I, I do think that there is some relationship there and I'll, I'll agree with you to an extent, but I also believe that maybe defenses haven't necessarily caught up because of the, the way the officiating has been called these past couple of years but also because of a lack of defensive minds in the coaching positions. Like you're, you're seeing now more than ever, offensive coaches are where it's at. Like Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. I mean, the wonderkins of the NFL now are being known or are offensive minds. Andy Reid is still in the league. Bill Belichick is really the only notable defensive head coordinator or defensive head coach that I can think of off the top of my head. So, you know, maybe we'll see a trend in that change. Maybe we'll see some more, defensive players come out in the draft and, and be more athletic and, and help contribute to a different kind of philosophy from the head coaching position as well. Yeah. And I, I think schemes, a lot of part of that too, you know, how the schemes have kind of caught up like the RPO there for a little bit was this mystery. And now defenses have kind of figured out like, Oh wait, they can't really go past the line of scrimmage as far as blockers. So if we just hold our position, it kind of, it kind of neutralizes that. Um, I mean, just to, just to kind of, go back to a narrative that's been there. Um, here were the inner, so this is last year's interception numbers. Now, some of these are a little deceptive because some of these players didn't play all 16 games, but listen to the interception numbers last season to this season. 
And yes, there are 17 games, so obviously there's going to be more counting stats. But in 13 games last year, Drew Locke threw 15. Carson Wentz in 12 games, 15. Kirk Cousins in 16 games, 13. Russell Wilson, 13 and 16. Jared Goff, 13. So 15, 15, 13, 12 by Tom Brady and Kyler Murray um, this year. So, you know, this year, most teams have played 11 games. We already have Ryan Tannehill at 13, Joe Burrow at 12, Mahomes and Jack. Uh, Lamar's at 12, Mahomes at 11, Ryan's at a level. I just, you know, I just think that those, you know, there just seems to be a higher amount of interceptions thrown. Defenses are catching up. The athletes are better on the defensive side of the ball. Just a, just kind of an interesting trend. I think, you know, when you're talking about the best teams in the NFL this year, I'm not sure there's one of them that has a bad defense. You know, the best teams are teams that are, you know, top, I don't want to say top 10 defenses, but top 15 for sure. Yeah. And I want, I want to shift a little bit because you, you mentioned his name and I think that a lot of the narrative surrounding him has changed over the past couple of weeks. Where do you land on Lamar Jackson? Because there's been this talk that he's kind of changed and isn't actually a good thrower of the football, but that's not really a narrative I've been following. And it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me why some people would say that. I mean, I, I guess he had a few, a good couple of games where he, you know, didn't throw the football away and had a few good deep balls, but it's never really been like, even he doesn't even really look like Baker Mayfield. Like for whatever reason, last night, Baker looked, even how bad as he, as he played as the better quarterback. Um. Well, you know, I, it, it's hard to go that far with the, Baker thing just because Baker was equally brutal you know last night was one of those games that's kind of like I'm not sure anyone won the game someone just lost like the Browns lost that game I'm not sure the Ravens actually won but to your point yeah Lamar has been brutal the last four games um Lamar in his last four games has thrown five inter or five touchdowns and thrown a total of eight interceptions thrown under a thousand yards 926 uh, last night had a passer rating of 46.5. Um, you know, he struggled. And that's not even including the game that he missed because of being sick. Um, I, when it comes, Lamar, to me, two players last uh, this week took themselves out of the MVP conversation. Uh, Lamar Jackson was one of them. And I, I think that's also that, that ship has sailed for Matt Stafford. Um, when it comes to Lamar Jackson, to me, he is showing us something. I said that this was a make or break year for Lamar Jackson and Ravens fans on Twitter got mad at me because how could you say that about this player who has this awesome win-loss record? And, you know, they are the one seed in the AFC overall. But here's the thing. Lamar Jackson's numbers have not really increased on the ground or in the air this season. He's got the best group of offensive playmakers he's had in a long time. Yes, he doesn't have J.K. Dobbins. Yes, they don't have Ronnie Stanley, which I'm sure would help some of those. But, you know, he's got Sammy Watkins. He's got um, Hollywood Brown there. Mark Andrews is playing really well. They're getting Rashad Bateman into the offense more and more. And it, it's not seeming to make a huge difference with him as a passer. So to me, it to me, it just says that, you know, the Ravens are never going to move on from Lamar Jackson as a player. You know, they're not going to trade him or anything like that. He's a good player. Clearly, he does a lot for that offense. 
but it just it just tells me that that team can never be anything other than what it is right now and that's a that's an to me nothing says more about the ravens roster construction than the fact that their backups have to be lamar jackson clones they can't go pick up chad henney and plug him into the that offense because it would not work they have to go get guys like rg3 or the guy who's there now who are you know hybrid quarterbacks run pass option because that roster is is built around lamar jackson and if lamar gets hurt it's gonna crush them i mean you can say that about any roster but to me, they are exactly what they've been the last couple of seasons, a team that does really well in the playoffs, beats up on the bad teams, but when it comes time to throw the ball, they're not there. Yeah, and, and let's be clear. It's not necessarily a bad thing that their whole entire offense is tailored around Lamar Jackson. I mean, that could the same thing could be said for Patrick Mahomes. Like, we're, we're running, we're playing, we're, we're running play calls that are designed for him. If the offense, if, if Patrick Mahomes went down, the same thing could be said. Um, the, the offense would just stagnate. But it, it is kind of interesting, though, that they can't – I mean, they, they are extremely limited in who they can pick up, and that's definitely going to hurt them down the road. And we, we're going to have some predictions a little bit later that we're going to get to, um, and that's going to be one of my major ones. So, so keep an eye out for that later. Yeah, I um, – you know, going back to that a little bit, when it comes to the AFC versus the NFC, the AFC, it's just – I get so tired of, and I don't know why. I, I'm sure part of it's because I'm a Chiefs fan. More than any of it, it just gets tiring. I feel like every single year the NFL media tries to tell us that the NFC is just, oh, man, the NFC is just, it's so good. It's just, it's so good. And then the AFC has been the better conference forever. I mean, this goes back to Brady and Manning. But, like, yes, the NFC is top-heavy. If we did a power ranking right now, probably two or three of the top five would be NFC teams, but then, you know, five through 15 would be AFC teams. The AFC has just better coaches. There's a lot better average quarterbacks. There's a lot better overall rosters in the AFC. Um, for me right now in the NFC, I know we kind of go back and forth on this. I, with the Packers, I'm ready to put them above the Bucks right now. And the reason why is because the pack, what the Packers have done beating really good teams they, you know, they beat the Rams. They they went head to head with the Chiefs, even without um, Rodgers. They're doing this without Jair Alexander. They're doing that with Zadarius Smith. They're going to get Bakhtiari back. This offense and defense have room to grow. To me, I think that they just get the slight nod above the Bucks at this point. Yeah, and I think that's a fair take. I mean, I know you've been pretty high on the Bucs uh, throughout this season, but they've sustained a whole lot of injuries, especially in their secondary. And I'm not I'm not entirely sure that the Bucs would even be that great with the secondary additions, like if they just never got injured. Well, I think I think one thing, going back to the Bucs, the reason why I switched those two teams is because, not because of the Bucs injuries, because I do think they will get healthier, because – they're going to have that division sewed up. But Brady, the last couple of weeks, has not played nearly as well. They're not throwing the ball quite as well. Um, he got Gronk back, and that seemed to make a difference in the game against the Colts, which is a huge win for them. That was a, that was a big win um, for them to pull that off. Antonio Brown comes back. It's a little bit different. But right now, Brady's just not quite playing the same way. But something that's scary is as good as Leonard Fournette w- looked and how well they were running the ball, 
Um, finally, Brady can get what he's always had, and, um, and that's a dominant running game because he needs a dominant running game to be a good quarterback for some reason. But, you know, if they run the ball like that, it'll be even harder to defend that team for sure. But right now, as it stands, I definitely have the Packers above the Bucks. And right now, the Cardinals, I know the Cardinals on paper obviously have the best record in the league. But it's just it's just hard to buy into what they're selling right now without having seen Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watts down. It's just hard to buy into to it without having seen it more. Oh, yeah. Well, and I don't know. It, it's kind of bad. They've, they've dealt with a lot of injuries, but I don't think that teams usually get healthier, healthier as the season goes on. And the Cardinals have sustained injuries to their number one wide receiver, some of their best defensive ends and their quarterback. And, and I don't really see that translating in the postseason when things get harder, the weather gets colder, you know, it, it's just going to be more brutal on your body the further you go. I do kind of have a question though, relating back to the Packers here. You usually have your power rankings and we've discussed this before as teams you could see winning the chip. It, it's not really a week to week um, type of deal. It's really like who you believe could win the championship as your number one, number two, um, especially in the divisions. But do you trust Aaron Rodgers to win a playoff game? Like, I feel like we have this narrative surrounding him where he's this, and I mean, with all due respect, he is an elite quarterback. He's one of the best in the league, possibly the greatest arm talent of all time. I don't know if I trust that Packers team to win an AFC championship game. It seems like every year there's this narrative that comes out. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the, in the NFC. The defense has gotten better. It's much improved. They went heavy in the draft. I mean, and, and then they get to the championship game and then shit the bed. Like, I, I, I don't understand. I, I, something I'm going to have to see, maybe it's because I'm too young to have really paid attention when Aaron Rodgers won that first championship. But, like, I, I don't trust them at all in the playoffs. And I certainly don't trust them – or I don't trust them more than the Buccaneers. You know, I, I think sometimes we do this thing, and we'll talk about this too – Sometimes we do this thing where we act like we've seen something once or twice, where we act like we've seen something once or twice and then act like it's been happening for generations. Now, this is kind of proving to be true this year, but I said this about the Raiders. Like two years in a row, the Raiders had a late season collapse and kind of gave away any chance they had at the division. Now, they proved to do this again in a completely different way, which was like their entire team falling apart off the field. In previous years, it's been on the field issues. But nevertheless, there's been this narrative that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is some like massive choker in the playoffs. Um, I mean, you know, we know he has the one Super Bowl, but he's played in a lot of NFC championship games. He's gotten really, really close. I don't necessarily consider that a playoff choker or someone who can't perform. I mean, he's he's had some tremendous games and come real close. I, I believe this to be true. And this is one of the things the older I get, the more I start to believe this narrative when I was young, it was really easy to just do that narrative where it's like, oh, man, you know, the quarterback is everything. You got the quarterback. It's, you know, it's Lamar versus Aaron Rodgers. It's Mahomes versus Brady. It's this and it's that. And that and that does mean a lot because I'm here to tell you, no team is going to the Super Bowl with a bad quarterback and winning it all. It's just not going to happen. But what is true is that it takes a whole team. And the reason why I believe in the Packers this year more than ever is because it feels like that team is not reliant upon just Aaron Rodgers to be great. They do a lot of things really well. And this, this kind of goes back to the Chiefs as well. A lot of this can go ditto for this. 
one of the biggest things for the Super Bowl Chiefs year in 2019 was when Mahomes went down and the defense stepped up and Chad Haney came in and other players had to make plays. They couldn't just rely on, oh, 15 is going to bail us out. And the pass rush of the Packers, the secondary, the improvement that can come, the excellent play of Devondre Campbell at linebacker, the way that they run the ball with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones and those secondary receivers stepping up, the way they utilize Devontae Adams. Uh, you know, if there's one weak spot with that team, it's Mason Crosby and how terrible the kicker is. And then you get space for Aaron Rodgers to make a spectacular play. Now, seeing how the toe will limit him and stuff like that, I, I the Packers look like a Super Bowl team for sure. They looked like a Super Bowl team last year. Um, and, you know, he outplayed Tom Brady in that game. It just happened to be that the way the game played – when, it, when the score was over, Bucks were leading. Now, I know that's like common sense, but there was a lot of that game that the Packers were dominating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have faith in them. I think that they are a team that can definitely make it there. You know, if I w- if we were setting odds in the NFC, they're one or two for sure. Yeah, and I didn't mean to, uh, you know, I, it's not like I have them sixth or seventh in the NFC, but it, it does – at least for me, it just seems hard to see them winning anything substantial since they haven't done it in a while. Well, substantial, meaning the NFC championship game. They've gotten there multiple times. So, Yeah. Um, so kind of going on here a little bit, let's switch over. We've been talking. Well, let's finish up the NFC talk. We don't need to go down the Rams don't have picks talk a little bit because, I mean, that's a really fun topic to go on and on about. But the Rams have lost again. Um, you know, they, they lost to the 49ers. They lost to the Packers. Um, they're, they're struggling at this point. This news comes out about Matt Stafford and how all of a sudden he has these really big injuries. Where are we at with the Rams? I mean, are the Rams, we assume they're making the playoffs, but the 49ers are getting closer to them. They're, um, you know, they're struggling. Yeah, well, I wouldn't sell all my stock on them just yet. I mean, they are dealing with injuries. Matt Stafford isn't playing as well as he can, but this to me kind of seems like one of those narratives, those midseason like reactionary narratives, like, oh, they lost a few games. Matt Stafford hasn't been playing well. The Rams must be awful. And it's like, no, 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 no. Let's slow down a little bit. There's no body of work, especially with the two new additions that they brought in with Von Miller and OBJ. I mean, when you talk defensive and offensive line, and I'll start there, communication is almost everything when you're coming off of stunts, when you're picking up different blocks, doesn't matter either side of the ball coordination and and teamwork and cooperation are some of the biggest like things that bring a defensive or offensive line together, adding somebody like Von Miller, who is playing outside of his position in a sense, he's not playing outside linebacker. He's playing defensive end. Um, that's going to take some time. And I know they didn't generate basically any pass rush on that game um, in the game they just played, but there's going to be, I know it's loaded. It it just can't not work. You know what I mean? Like there's too much talent there on the defensive line for it to not be good and generate pressure. Plus they've got good uh, outside defensive back help with Jalen Ramsey and that whole squad. So I'm not really worried about that side of the ball for them, but I mean the Robert Woods injury, Oh, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I'm the exact opposite. 
I look at the way that the Chiefs brought in Melvin Ingram and he automatically incorporated into the defense. I mean, they traded for him and he played that week and played meaningful snaps. And Von Miller is still struggling to get in there. The fact that they could get almost zero pass rush against four out of five backups on the Packers offensive line, that says something that's concerning to me. And I mean, it's not on Aaron Donald. I saw several pictures of him getting triple teamed today. It's on those other guys to win one-on-one and they're not. And, you know, that defense, to me, so much of what the Rams were meant to be this year was based upon the fact that they were the number one defense last year. And yes, Brandon Staley left. And yes, they lost John Johnson and a couple other players, but that's a fool's errand. If you want to do something stupid, go and look at last year's top ranked defense and then see where they are next year. It's never the same team. And it's usually not even close. You know, the 49er, or not the 49er. Well, yeah, the 49ers used to be a good defense. They suck now. The Washington football team used to be good defense. They suck now. It It is a full team on defense that makes a great defense, not a couple of players. And, um, you know, that that's to me the most concerning thing about the Rams. And then you were headed to the other side of the ball. Robert Woods, super underrated wide receiver. And to me, the thing that sticks out the most is that the Rams offensive line, say Andrew Whitworth, sucks. They are not winning at the point of attack. And they don't get the advantage of running the ball that they used to. And, you know, we all talk about, you know, Todd Gurley's washed up, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, this Rams offense ran through Todd Gurley a couple years ago. That's back when they were great. And, you know, they've had some good backs. Cam Akers did some nice things last year, but they're desperately missing the threat of the run. Well, yeah, and and I think some of that will be alleviated once OBJ kind of steps into that role. And by no means do I think that he is anywhere close to where Robert Woods was before his injury. But I do think that he will have some value, especially playing outside snaps. Like they, they don't really have a wide receiver that can do that outside of Van Jefferson. And they have yet to utilize him this year outside of one or two big catches every couple of weeks. So I just see the, the Rams are still very much in play for, for their division. I don't, I don't think the 49ers are going to, to beat them out. But I do think that it is concerning. It's, it's something to monitor over the next couple of weeks. Well, yeah, and I mean, the 49ers already have one game in hand. They're only a game behind. They're only a game behind the Rams, and they've already got a game in hand against them. So, I mean, it's certainly possible that they are third in the the division. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that next game plays out. But the Rams play the Lions next week, so we can um, start posting the hype train videos again about the super team. That is, They got to win that one. Yes, they don't win yeah. that one. They're in trouble. Yeah. Matt Stafford revenge game. Start the narratives. Oh, dear God. Okay. Let's switch over to the AFC a little bit. There's two, well, there's a couple storylines on the AFC that I want to talk about. And this is one I'm having to eat some crow on this because I said that the Chargers were going to be different this year. I thought a lot of their stupid lose losses that they have every year were at the feet of Anthony Lynn being a bad coach, a bad in-game manager. And I thought Brandon Staley was, Staley was going to be different and that they were smart. And they've done, to their credit, they've done a lot of things different. But they still cannot win games that they are expected to win. And I understand divisional games are weird, but they've had a couple of clunkers this year. And I, it is beyond me. I, I don't know what it is at this point. That defense was supposed to be really good. Derwin James, Asante Samuel, they've got Chris Harris at corner. You know, we ha- know that they've got Joey Bosa. Kenneth Murray at linebacker there's no reason for this team to be so bad as it is defensively they still have Linval Joseph on the interior and they suck 
And Brandon Staley is supposed to be this defensive whiz kid. And if you're going to bring in this defensive mind, that means, I mean, I'll give, I give Vic Fangio a lot of, a lot of crap, but their defenses in Denver are consistently top 10, top 15. Brandon Staley is supposed to be this defensive genius and the defense is the weak link of that team at this point. And you also give all that up on offense. Like, you know, if you're going to hire a defensive coordinator as a head coach, they need to be good on defense. If they're not good on defense, your offense is struggling as well. What do you do? Well, it's definitely not special teams because they blow at that too. Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, the biggest key to this is the defense. I'm, I'm just looking at the stats here and they are third in the AFC of points allowed. It's, it's the jets, the Raiders, and then the chargers. I mean, two people you would expect that they should not even be anywhere close to in points allowed. And they're allowing just as many points. It's crazy to me though. The Justin Herbert hype train has kind of stopped. And I think part of that is also because the offense is struggling. I mean, the chiefs offense is struggling. We know what Patrick Mahomes is. I think because Justin Herbert is so early on in his NFL career, I don't think that there's as many people backing him or so sure about him as they were a couple of seasons ago. And I I just don't, I don't know. It it doesn't make any sense to me why that would be the case. Everybody goes through their their, their struggles. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, this is the first one of his career, but every every quarterback goes through it. And I don't know, nothing about this team makes any sense to me. The defense shouldn't be bad. It's bad. The offense shouldn't struggle. It's struggling. The special teams is as worst as as bad as it's ever been. Like I, I don't know where we're at with this team. I thought they were going to be ex- extremely. I th- honestly, I thought they were going to win the division about halfway through this year. Do you, was there a turning point that you noticed? Because to me, it's well, just kind of like falling apart. I so this is something that PFF is really big on with Justin Herbert. They have one of the least creative schemes. They have a metric that measures scheme as far as. EPA added per a play, pre-snap motion, routes run. They're not a creative offense. Again, you chose a defensive head coach instead of an offensive head coach when you have a generational talent at defense at quarterback. Um, and they have one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL. And he throws some of the least, or he his average depth of target or the amount of big throws that he has is some of the lowest in the league. So basically he's at least at throwing the ball downfield and they don't do it very often. Part of that is, I don't think that they, you know, Keenan Allen is a, a tactician as far as a route runner. Mike Williams is a big jump ball guy, but they don't really have a big speed threat. So maybe that's something that the offense is missing, but they have, they, they've limited their best weapon and that's, that's Herbert. And I mean, Herbert, you know, he's got six touchdowns and four interceptions in his last two games. Um, threw a pick six and the game that throw was mainly off Austin Eckler's hands and just kind of landed in the wrong place. But I mean, it, to me, it's just neither side of the ball is strong enough to carry this team. Um, Mike Williams is set up to be a free agent this year. He's had some really great games. He struggled as late. Keenan Allen is obviously the, the, you know, the soul of that offense. Austin Eckler is a great player, but he usually gets hurt pretty often. Um, and, th- and that's a, th- going back to this a little bit, it just makes no sense because every single year, it seems like the Chargers nail the draft, um, especially at the top. Uh, you know, a couple picks that they've had, you know, picks that haven't done as well, like Nasir Adderley was taken after Juan Thornhill or maybe even before, and he's kind of just been a second or a third safety for them, not been special. But, 
you know, they've, they've nailed the draft and, and they did it again. I mean, both players, Sante Samuel's been really good for them. Um, you know, their left tackle might be one of the best in football right now as a rookie. So I, it, it, it baffles me at this point. It's, it's a question. I don't even have an answer. It's just, how are this, they this bad and they're not awful, but how are they consistently doing this after they've basically changed everything? Yeah. And I, I kind of want to change the subject just a little bit here. Let's, let's talk about some of the teams that they'll be competing with. Cause I do think they will be second in the AFC West. Let's see who they'll be competing with as far as like a wild card spot. And you tell me if they're anywhere close to any of these teams. Bills or Patriots, depending on who wins out that division, the Bengals and the Colts. Do you think that they're comparable to any of those teams? Talent wise, I think they're probably the best. When, when you look at their drafts, like you mentioned, Asante Samuel Jr., Rashawn Slater, they nailed this one. They nailed the one before that. I, I see them as a super talented team. I don't think they're going to beat any of those teams. If they played them tomorrow, I don't think they would beat a single one. Oh my gosh. No. I, I mean, the one that the Bengal, I don't they pay, play the Bengals this week. I think they might, that'll be a great game. Um, two really young, good quarterbacks in that game. But I mean, you said the Colts, the Colts could, I mean, Jonathan Taylor might run for 300 yards on that team. They are brutal against the run. The bills. I don't though, you know, they had a huge loss on defense um, with Tredavious white. I don't see the bill, the, the Chargers being able to get enough going against the bills defense and the, you know, the other two teams, I don't think either. Um, I, the, that is the thing about the Chargers is that again, you know, if you play the games on paper, there's no reason why they're not one of the best teams in the NFL. And yet here we are. And at this point, you just got to start to wonder if it's, you know, is it a GM thing? They seem to draft really well, but one thing I will say, the Chargers are a good roster, a great roster, but they never seem to do that all in move. You know, they, they're never even considered to make a deadline move. They never go make that big splashy free agent signing. You know, Corey Lindsley was their big signing this year. A center who's been a great center, but doesn't really move the needle that much. To me, and maybe this is the season that they do it, but they need to go all in while they've got this rookie quarterback, while they've got this window open. You know, they need to be a team that makes a push for Devontae Adams. I mean, my God, could you imagine Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams on the same team with Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler? Holy cow, holy cow, you know, that'd be amazing. Um, they let Hunter Henry walk, and Hunter Henry's played well in New England. He's not, he's not Kelsey, he's not Darren Waller, but a good player nonetheless. So, uh, you know, some of, some of that goes back on the GM, and I think, you know, he gets away with some really good drafting, which, you know, is a foundation of being a good, a good um, GM, but I definitely think that there's some more questions there, which takes me to our next team, another young quarterback, and this one is driving me up the wall. The chart, uh, the Patriots, you know, they've won, I think it's six in a row. They beat up on the Titans pretty good. They are the flavor of the month. They're everyone's new favorite team. They're the team that nobody wants to play. And yet, to me, I feel like I want to be careful because some of this respect is earned. But I'm going to say about 65% of the credit that this current Patriots team gets is not deserved because I feel like so much of the reputation that is built around the Patriots is built on Tom Brady's legacy and Tom Brady is not playing quarterback for the Patriots. And what I mean by that is people say things like this. Well, you know, when the Patriots get hot like this, you don't want to be on the other side of it. Or 
you don't want to be going to Foxborough in January. Or we know that whenever Tom Brady played with this team back in early 2000, he just had to make some plays and the defense won. All those things and et cetera, et cetera, are things that are built upon Tom Brady's legacy. Tom Brady is not playing quarterback for the Patriots right now. Mac Jones is. Mac Jones has done really well, but Mac Jones is not Tom Brady. And some of that, you know, I said about 65%. The other percentage, that's Bill Belichick, and he deserves that, right? He's still the head coach, still a great defense. But how people can just, it's it just, it's like copy and pasting. It's just lazy analysis. Like, hey, this is kind of an unathletic white guy who was underdrafted. And they used to have an unathletic white guy that was underdrafted. They're kind of the same. Look, the problem with Mac Jones is that he plays like how Tom Brady plays when he's 40. Now he doesn't have that ability. When things break down, he doesn't have that to think that, you know, Mac Jones is going to be the next Tom Brady. And I guess I shouldn't say that because no one's saying that, but to give him some of that legacy credit that the Patriots have earned and kind of talk about him in that way, is just silly. Yeah. And the Patriots this year are kind of the classic, like, team that hits their the good team that hits their ceiling way too early and then levels out and, and kind of peters out and maybe it's one win in the playoffs looking at the other teams in the division even the bills or the i wouldn't say the dolphins but anybody in the afc will say i think that the patriots ceiling is way 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 lower than the bills the chargers the raiders even the Bengals, the ravens the colts i mean that's over half the division and they're they're doing so off the arm and the decision-making of young Mac Jones. And I think that he can make some throws that, that maybe the old Tom can make, but not the young Tom, but I, I don't see how they can be an effective team late into the season. They, they have a pretty good running game, but I don't trust Mac Jones, a rookie quarterback who looks like he's hit his ceiling you know, 10 games into his career, 15 games into his career. Like there's, it, it just doesn't make any sense for me to, for this narrative to be out there where the Patriots are this buzzsaw that's ripping through the AFC. It's like, no, 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 no. They just hit their peak earlier than everybody else did. And I, I wouldn't put them up against any of the other playoff contenders and have them have a, have them be the favorite. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and it, to me, it's just it's one of those things that we're, people have seen it before, and it's, it's just confirmation bias. It's just, oh, you know, we've seen this before. This is how it's going to be again. You know, this, it, it's just not the same. I think that they're doing some good things, but, I mean, you, you look at this win streak, New York Jets, Chargers, pretty good win. They ran all over them that day. They beat Sam Darnold's Panthers. They beat the Browns, which, you know, that's Proving, that's that's proving to be less and less of a great win. They dismantled the Falcons in a game where they scored one offensive touchdown and they beat the piss out of the Titans without AJ Brown, without Julio Jones, without Derrick Henry. I mean, that team has nothing offensively right now going for them. The Titans do. Um, and the Titans missed two field goals in that game as well. So that score obviously could have been a little bit better. You know, when it comes to the Patriots, we're going to see who they are. They've got two games against the Bills and a game against the Colts. Um, they and also let's not forget that the Patriots are exactly what the NFL is designed to do. They had a top what, 10 or 12 pick 
and also they had a lesser schedule this year. This is the first time that they haven't had a division winning schedule and they still get the cushy AFC East. Yes, the bills are good, but the dolphins are still not very good. The jets are obviously a joke. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Um, I, as a chiefs fan and kind of switching to chiefs mode here a little bit, I think the pa- Patriots are a team to respect, but not fear. I, I am not afraid to go for the Chiefs to go to Foxborough in January, and I'm not afraid of them to come into Arrowhead. 100% agree. This, is, this, to me, is not a team that we need to be fearing in the AFC. All due respect, they are a good, well-rounded team. Bill Belichick is still one of the greatest head coaches of all time. All that being said, they're not a team that I think will be making waves late in January. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. Do, I still have full confidence in that defense, especially the personnel on that defense, to basically give the Chiefs all sorts of fits on offense. But I, I trust the defense so much more now that they are going to give Mac Jones a hard time, especially in the pocket. Um, you know, they they know how to scheme up pass rush. And, you know, the Chiefs have shut down some really good wide receivers. And that group, you know, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, um, that doesn't concern me that much. So I, you know, anything can happen in one game, but I, I feel like that's not something that the chiefs have to worry about. Um, you know, we're coming up on a big game for the chiefs Sunday night football. I, I kind of thought it was stupid at the time for them to make Sunday night football chiefs Broncos, but now, um, NBC is kind of looking like geniuses because quietly, if the Broncos win this game, they could be in first place in the AFC West. Yeah, if if they win this game, they will be first in the AFC West. I don't right. think anybody with a dollar in their pocket would bet on that to happen. Um, to me, the Chiefs coming off a of bye week, that's Andy Reid's magic hour. He's going to have some shit schemed up that you've never seen before. He's going to dial up the spags. He's going to dial up the blitzes. I don't think it's going to be a close game, but it is an interdivisional game, which means, well, no, it's just a divisional game. So it's going to be uh it it could go either way i'm heavily leaning towards the chiefs yeah i this game i'm not going to say it concerns me a little bit but it's definitely one that could sneak up on the chiefs a little bit you can you can make the argument that the the buy actually came at a bad time for the chiefs in the sense of they were really getting rolling and the defense was playing so well that they kind of lost some momentum i here's the thing i think that the Teddy Bridgewater's injured his ankle or his calf or something. They are dead, dead set on playing Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Locke. Um, and to be fair, Drew Locke threw two interceptions in his short time filling in for Teddy Bridgewater whenever he's injured. So he didn't exactly do anything to instill confidence in him. But if they're going to play banged up Teddy Bridgewater in this game against the Chiefs pass rush, I, I think they're in for a long night. I understand that the Broncos do have some good wide receivers. But good, again, going back to that, do I think Jerry Judy could get him once? Sure. Do I think that Noah Fant might have some, you know, the Chiefs kind of give up stuff to the tight end. I think Noah Fant could play well, but to me, if the Chiefs can stop the run in this game, um, I, I think it's done. I, you know, I, I, I know that the offense can struggle against a good, what is a good defense, but the pass rush isn't nearly as good as it once was with the defense of the Broncos the, the secondary is strong. You know, this might be a game that the Chiefs have to go through again, dink and dunk. Um, Vic Fangio was kind of one of those guys to first start doing the cover two against the Chiefs and have some sec- success against it. So um, 
but I, I don't see a way that the, the Broncos are going to be able to outscore the Chiefs here and get the ball moving on that defense. Yeah, and one of the big keys to this game is going to be the health of that Denver Bronco offensive line. Just looking at some of their injuries here, their starting left tackle is out. Their starting right tackle is out. Their backup left tackle, their swing tackle, Anderson, is doubtful, so he might not even play. And their left guard is uh, is questionable going into this game as well. So, I mean, I feel like we say this every time the Chiefs play anybody. This defensive line has got to come and show out this week. I don't think they'll be passing the ball a whole lot. They do have weapons on the outside, but Javante Williams is, is an incredible running back. I don't see why they shouldn't give him the ball a whole lot or that won't be the plan. I, I don't know how the, the Broncos win this game. And just Andy Reid off a of bye, like I said, is legendary. This offensive, defensive, I don't know what you'd call it, the glue holding this team together is just for whatever reason – Melvin Ingram coming back and he's going to have a huge role in this game as well. So, yeah, I think you, you, know, you want to do predictions or. Yeah, I think, I think one thing kind of going back to that a little bit, Andy seems to always dominate the division. So hopefully this is the place that he, you know, kind of pulls out some of those, those plays that he has. I love that he has dominated the division like that and put a priority on those. To me, this, the, the AFC West could be sewed up after this week. If the chiefs, beat the Broncos and the Bengals beat the Chargers, which are both very possible. This is over as far as the division go. You can, you can put it, take it to the bank. At this point, the Chiefs, according to PFF, 70% chance to win the division title, 88% to make the playoffs. Um, that, that's going to jump up to over 95% if those two things. If one or two of things happen, we're looking at mid-80s, which is already really good odds. So um, this is a big take care of business stuff. Uh, weekend but yeah I mean for our predictions um you know I think that the Chiefs offense is not going to be stellar but I think it will put up some points I'm going to take the Chiefs 28 and the Broncos 18 a little kind of score gummy score there Chiefs 28 Broncos 18 and kind of a last minute little field goal to kind of make it feel like a two possession game but I think the Chiefs handle them here yeah mine's going to be along the same lines I got to go I guess my favorite pick number of the season is 35 chiefs 35 broncos 18 i i don't see the broncos putting up any points except in garbage time defense is playing outstanding the offensive or the defensive line is going to have a heyday against that injured front it it's not going to be close that's just my gut feeling yeah i hope that you're right i would love to see the uh defense or the offense score 35 on a pretty good defense so to close out today we're going to do something a little bit different we're going to play a little game called In Three Years, and it sounds just like it is. Basically, what we're going to do here is we're going to make, and these don't necessarily have to be NFL predictions. I think most of us went towards the NFL, but we're going to just say some open-ended statements. In three years from now, dot, 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 you can fill in whatever you want to in there. You can say something about a player. You can say something about a team. You can say something about the way the game is played etc etc it's open-minded in three years from now you fill in the rest so I will start um this is one that I think is something that's coming to the NFL in three years from now I believe that there will not be very many true running backs anymore I believe that there will start to that every wide receiver that will start coming out and every running back that will start coming out are going to be hybrid wide receiver running back types. Debo Samuel this year 
has been a revelation running the ball. And I think that as one running backs become more and more better receivers and as receivers become better and better carriers of the ball getting in the backfield, I think that this is something that the NFL needs to take advantage of that way, especially with the numbers and how they change that, you know, you've got wide receivers wearing like number six, number seven, you've got running backs wearing numbers in the forties, weird stuff like that all the time. I, I, sincerely think that you can have a situation where you can put anyone out wide and then put anyone in the backfield. And I think that this is something that would be really cool to the NFL to do as far as another, another level for the offense to go that way, you never really know what personnel you're in. You can never send, you can never look at the personnel on the field and line the defense up and say, Oh, they're going heavy and they're going to run the ball or, Oh, they're going uh, light and going to pass the ball. Um, Curtis Samuel, unironically both last name Samuel he does that a lot back when he was in um, Carolina as well as running the ball I, I think that that is something that in three years we'll see even more of love you some Cordell Patterson huh yeah I mean he's he's one of those guys too he's really truly changed positions um, I'm trying to I'm trying to find Debo how many yards rushing Debo Samuel has this year um, it's a lot it's a yeah lot. It, it is he's got 203 yards rushing right now um, he's, a, he's a legitimate weapon in that game. And it, 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 again, stretches teams horizontally. If they have to, you know, the more likely they are to bite on that play fake, the more they have to hesitate. Yeah, well, I think that's a really good take, especially considering, like, some of the new stuff the Chiefs and, and Sean McVay they have been using over the years, like those jet sweeps, like a, a little short pass. That's basically a handoff. So they're, they're using their wide receivers and different weapons, uh, differently like things that we haven't seen I don't think ever in the NFL it'll be interesting to see how that develops but I could definitely see that happening so for my first one in three years the Bengals and Joe Burrow will be the Chiefs biggest rivals in the AFC so we talked about the Patriots a little bit their dynasty has come to an end I I will 100% say it right now Mac Jones, I think, is kind of reaching his ceiling. He Obviously, he's a rookie. He'll be able to get better, but I don't think it'll be anything crazy. Um, as far as in that AFC North division, I don't think Lamar Jackson will be the same Lamar Jackson that we see him as today. The Steelers will also not be, uh, unless they you know hit out of the park in the draft, they won't have a quarterback, and the Browns will probably still have Baker Mayfield, and we've kind of seen how that's gone this year. I don't see any of those guys contending going down to the AFC South the Titans, the Colts, neither of those teams are really where they would like to be as far as quarterback goes, uh, even team construction. I don't think Derrick Henry getting 50 rushes a game is a recipe for success in three years. I don't think he will be the same Derrick Henry that we've seen. Um, and Josh now Josh Allen and the bills, they have to do a complete reconstruction of their offensive and defensive line. Cause it's a problem. It is, it is a major problem. And I don't think Josh Allen, we've seen him kind of regress this year. I don't think that he's going to be the guy that contends with Patrick every single year for that AFC, AFC spot in the Super Bowl. So Bengals and Joe Burrow will be the leaders. They will be the main contenders in the upcoming years. Nice. Um, I, I think I agree with some of that. I, I, Lamar Jackson's longevity is, is what it's all about. You know, I feel like the way that that system is in um, Baltimore, they can really kind of keep plugging and playing, especially with, you know, how good they are at letting the right players go at the right time. 
But, you know, I could certainly see Lamar Jackson gets hurt. Because here's the thing when it comes to Lamar, if he starts getting, because of the way his game is, he's going to be less able to overcome certain types of injuries. If he starts having those soft tissue injuries, like we've seen like Sammy Watkins have and several other players, that could really doom him as a rusher. Um, my next in three years is going to be, and I, I feel like one of us was going to rush for this one, but I'll take it now. Um, the Rams are a top two pick in the NFL draft. And they won't have the pick. That's wait, maybe I'm not, I'll have to look it up, but maybe they'll make their first ever pick and it'll be in the top two round in the top two picks in the NFL, because I think this team is destined to bottom out. And when it's going to bottom out, it's going to go really hard. Um, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, they are not going to be able to carry that defense forever. Um, the offense is based around an aging quarterback that's injury prone, who is also not that very good. You know, they're relying on Cooper Cup to do a lot of this and Robert Woods. Those players will be older. The offensive line needs a lot of work. They've ignored so much of this. They have so little picks. Their cap is so much of their cap is tied up in these aging veteran players as well that I think. And part of this is, too, I want to believe that the Rams are just so stupid that they really think they can just keep kicking the can down the road. But I think part of this is, is that they are also a team that might acknowledge look, we know we're going to just be in the toilet for a couple of years after this. And maybe that's what this all is. And they will take out. But in three years from now, the Rams are picking one or two in the NFL draft, in the 2024 NFL draft. So you, you are correct. 2024 is the first year that they will have their first round draft pick. Um, I mean, in the upcoming years, it, it's going to be the first one that they have because they traded the pick for Stafford. They traded two first round picks for Stafford. So yeah. they're, yeah, maybe not, not a good situation. It. Maybe they'll keep it. I doubt it, but we'll see. I think Sean McVay, after hitting on Jared Goff a few years ago, is reluctant to use any first round picks on anything. So we'll see. We'll see. So for me, my second one, three years from now, I believe that the Cowboys will represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And we've kind of seen them take a turn this year. And I, I will be the first to say, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back here. I got it right when I said the Cowboys were winning this division. I mean, Eagles are the closest with five and seven. I still don't think that they're there. I don't, I don't think that they have the necessary weapons on defense to, to make a splash, um, to, to maybe move the needle. I mean, Michael Parsons was a good draft pick. I don't think Trayvon Diggs is everything that he's cracked up to be, but with an aging Tom Brady, with the uncertainty of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, with Kyler Murray being injured at least four, four times during the regular season, and with the Rams not having any future that I can see, I think the Cowboys are in prime position to, to kind of take up the mantle of the NFC. They've got a great quarterback. They've got a great core of receivers that they'll be able to keep around for a really long time. They're good at drafting special, uh, like outside wide receiver uh, attacking positions. They're, they're really good at doing all that. I think that they probably make a coaching change sometime before in the, in this three-year span. I don't think Mike McCarthy is the answer, but they've got a really good core group of players. They've got young talent on defense. They've got great weapons on offense. I could really see them being a force in the future. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's all there in front of them. The defense has got some really good young pieces. 
Um, it, to me, it's going to just kind of depend on how much they can keep that offense together. I think Amari Cooper or not Amari Cooper. Well, yes, Amari Cooper, but I think Dak Prescott has kind of showed exactly what we knew about Dak Prescott. He's really good when the situation around him is really good and not so much when the situation's not great. You know, looks a lot different with Cedric Wilson running around out there than CD Lamb, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. So, um, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I could definitely see it. The NFC is going to open up a lot here, especially if Rodgers and Wilson could both be on the move. Brady will eventually one day get old. The NFC could be the, the green grass ahead for him. And, you know, I could see it. Oh, yeah. Um, and just one more thing. They do have one of the worst contracts in the NFL. It's not Christian McCaffrey bad, but the Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott contract is going to be coming off the books in the near future. So that's going to free up some cap space to, to make some more moves as well. So For sure. Um, I'm going to switch to college football here a little bit, which is really saying something. In three years, USC is going to be a college football powerhouse and be in the college football playoffs, which might not mean as much because they're adding more teams, but a legitimate threat to win a college football championship. And here's why. I think, um, you know, today was a peak day on Twitter trolling Oklahoma fans who I had no idea were this, this much of a ridiculous fan base, but they are borderline Tuscaloosa fans. Um, but I think, I think Lincoln Riley is one of, you know, a top tier NFL or in college football coach, probably top five. Um, great scheme. I mean, he just has generated Heisman winner after Heisman winner and, has really made a great decision in going to the Pac-12. So you're, you know, put yourself in Lincoln Riley's shoes for a little bit. You're in Norman, Oklahoma. And by all, basically all news and outlets can report, OU up and decides to go with Texas to the, the SEC. So Lincoln Riley's job just gets a lot harder, right? He now goes to having to play you know, I would say in the Big 12, they were probably playing three or four teams every year that were good teams. And now he's going to playing six or seven good teams a year. And where it was easy for him to make the playoffs as a one loss team or an undefeated team. And, you know, he's winning back to back Big 12 championships. He's going to have to go duke it out in the SEC. And oh, by the way, you live in Oklahoma and there's a lot of pressure on you. You've got Bob Stoops pressure on there. And, you know, you're a brand in the SEC that's not nearly as strong. The road was getting really hard for Lincoln Riley. And then he gets an offer to go to Los Angeles, get paid more, go to the Pac-12, where the biggest powerhouse is Oregon, who their, their claim to fame is they had Marcus Mariota went to the playoff that one time and have cool jerseys. And he has now isolated a huge recruiting area in the, in the nation and players are no longer going to be leaving. A lot of the players that he had that were committed, some of his big commits to Oklahoma were out of California and they're already going to follow him there. He's going to dominate California. He has, you know, a SoCal culture out there. He has an offense that's going to do really well in that, in that scheme. It is all ahead of him and Link, uh, for Lincoln Riley. You know, I think that Saban is built to last. You know, I think that the SEC is going to stay the SEC. The Big 12 is going to crumble after losing Oklahoma and Texas. Don't see a lot there. And, I mean, I think the path just got so easy for him to be a perennial contender, similar to what Debo uh, did with Clemson. You know, Clemson has that where they just basically have to win all their ACC games and then just play a strong non-con game, and they were in the playoff year after year. Um, it's all there in front of them. So, 
I think Lincoln Riley made a great move. Yeah, I agree with you. And especially after seeing that contract, it, have you had a chance to look at like what all that entailed? It well, was like a hundred million dollars. I, 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 I think I saw that. It's a little hard to know for sure because USC is not a public college. Um, it's, it's a private college. So like some of these coach deals, they're so public because it's literally a state contract. Um, I've not seen all those, but I saw some of those of the terms, like they were buying both of um, his old houses in Norman, which he had two houses in Norman, which is crazy for 500,000 over a list price. So he gets an extra million dollars from there. Use of the team plane for personal business. I mean, it was, these are sweet deals, man. College football is just, it's, it is so crazy the way that these coaches do. And one of the most fun things is now, you know, Brian Kelly is going to take the LSU job. These college football coaching carousel is so interesting with one when one of these coaches moves. This would be like this would be like Andy Reid leaving the Chiefs and going to the Patriots to be their head coach. Like it's it's such a crazy move, and only college football is a sport that generates that. So that's well, been really not, fun. Not only Andy Reid, but that's like Brett Veach packaging up and moving with him too, because he's taking all oh, of yeah. that dude those those videos of him getting on the tarmac like butt crack early of dawn to leave and go out there and then he gets on the plane wearing OU gear and gets off the plane wearing USC gear top level like snake oil salesman shit i love it, it, it it's it's awesome oh yeah dude crazy it's super fun day on twitter for everybody that was involved um so for my last one i'm going to say that in 3 years this is a basketball one the, the New York Knicks are going to win the NBA championship. Now, I know what you're saying. They're the Knicks. They're not a great basketball team. Well, they're 11, right, 11 and 9 right now, and they're seventh in the Eastern Conference, and they have a, an incredible roster, like Alec Burks at the point guard, Evan Fournier at the shooting guard, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. Like these, these are really good players that are going to be around for a long time. Not only that, but I do think that at some point in time, an NBA franchise, like head superstar, some somebody like, I don't know, Kevin, man, I just forgot his name. Kevin Durant is going to come to the New York Knicks and just change life there because they are one superstar away from becoming this super powerful team. And, and I don't see anybody, especially in the, uh, the Eastern Conference, that can really hold up. I mean, the Nets they're about to fall apart. James Harden has not looked like anything, any, any version of James Harden we've ever seen, even going back to his OKC days. I don't trust the Heat. I don't trust the Wizards. The Bucks. yeah, they're, they're playing for the postseason, but, you know, we'll see. I think that the, the Eastern Conference is going to be wide open. I think the Knicks are in prime position to, to take it. So I could definitely see them winning a championship in the next three years. Yeah, the East, you know, the East is just, it's one of those that's just felt perennially open right? Like it's it seems like it's been open since Jordan left. Um, you know, the Bucks. we know that Giannis is going to be there. Um, I do think that the thing about the NBA is it, it is one of those sports that you can really change the outcome of your franchise with one or two players. Um, Julius Randle is going to need to show up in the playoffs this year. He did not at all last year for the Knicks. Um, I think one of the biggest stories in, in the East is just the Celtics really never capitalizing on the core that they had there. Um, you know, the Sixers, I, I, I don't have much faith in, faith in them between Embiid never being able to stay healthy, the, all the issues that they have with Simmons. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's not a terrible take. It, it takes a lot because the Knicks are kind of like the Browns of the NBA a little bit. They're not that miserable, but they're close. But, yeah, I mean, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, there's some good players on that team. They they definitely feel a player or two away, and, you know, they got to be big players, of course. But I could see it. Um, my last one is NBA-related as well. And this one pains me to say because I stand on a certain – a certain level on this issue, but I believe in three years, LeBron James is still playing basketball, but his play over the last three years will have ended any sort of discussion about him being the greatest of all time. And that is because I do not like the path that he is heading down as far as, as a player, as a GM, because we all know that LeBron's a GM and what he's done on and off the court. I'm just not a fan of, and just so we're clear, I'm not talking politically because LeBron James has a very weird political stigmatism about him. I'm meaning more just kind of like how he goes about his business. It seems like LA has been about movies for him and more of a Hollywood presence. I, to me, the roster construction of the Lakers is baffling. To me, I've always thought as LeBron ages that the, the only path for him to become even in the conversation with Michael was for him to start playing a different role as a player where he was that role player that, you know, he could sit in the back and make the shots they needed to play in the paint if he needed to. um, And then just have one big game. And it still feels like the way that this team is built. Yes. You know, they went and got Russ and yes, they have AD, but it just, it just still feels like this is a team that's going to go as LeBron goes. And I feel like, and you know, there's still more chapters to be written, but it feels like LeBron is probably going to finish as a Laker. And I felt like LeBron's best best path to ever getting to that Michael Jordan level is for him to be a role player on a good team. Like that would be him like joining with the Bucks or something like that. And having those big games in the playoffs when he can be healthy, but basically being just an accessory to a good roster. Yes, there would be people that would say, oh, he was, you know, just along for the ride with Giannis or whatever, but that would be the only conversation for him to enter that, you know, rings and all that. And I don't, I don't see that happening. I just think that he's going to try so hard to be his own brand, his own team, his own GM. And I think in the end, that's going to hurt him, which sucks because I've been someone that's wanted to see him be the GOAT. And I've talked about him being that player and realizing that, but I, I just don't see it happening, especially with the, the way this offseason went. Well, the biggest issue with LeBron is that he is the system. Like, I don't think we've ever seen him at any point during his high school, during his uh, NBA career, that he has been an accessory. He's always been the main show. He's all. Transition to a role like that, even if he tried. I mean, he's not a particularly good shooter. He can drive to the basket and, and maybe make some free throws at some point in time, but I don't see like they're, they're really, he's really the best when he's got the ball in his hands and he's passing. I mean, look at all of his high, all of his highlights are crazy. You know, they're, they're either dunks driving down the lane or they're some sick pass in between somebody's legs that, that hits a wide open, you know, J.R. Smith for a three. Like, I don't see how he could transition to a role like that. And I think you're right. I think that's going to be, kind of his downfall as, you know, wanting to be the greatest player of all time. I don't think this LA thing has worked out outside of one year. 
I mean, and you could point to AD as, as being a big problem, being a big part of that, but I, I don't see how he could make the, the case after this season and, and on the trajectory that he's going that he could be the greatest player of all time, unfortunately. For sure. Well, I think, I think that about does it for us this week. Um, we've enjoyed kind of getting to talk a little bit more general NFL, general NBA, and all things Chiefs, of course. Next week, we'll be back with you kind of a little bit more of the traditional podcast format. We'll do some post-game, look ahead to the next game, um, and anything else that comes up. So from me and Christian, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. This has been Not Just Another Sports Podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Live. Thanks, guys. See you later.